Thank you for joining our study here on the Radio Bible Course today. We begin Chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. And reading from the first verse, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's servant in the gospel of Christ, to establish you in your faith and to exhort you that no one be moved by these afflictions. You yourselves know that this is to be our lot. For when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent that I might know your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and that our labor would be in vain. This chapter begins with a therefore, and because of that reason it would have been better if this were not a chapter division, because it is related to what Paul has said before. Paul is continuing the subject which he was discussing And that is his great concern for the Thessalonian Christians. The end of chapter 2 talked about how they were his great desire and how, if he had anything to boast about, it would be their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, he gives us more of the deep feeling that he had for these Christians here in these opening five verses of chapter 3. Timothy apparently had followed Paul to Athens, a fact not mentioned in the book of Acts, and then Timothy was sent back to Thessalonica by the apostle to find out how they were bearing up under the persecution which was certain to follow. Now in Acts chapter 17 we read how Paul went to Thessalonica and how the trouble developed there, and then it tells us that Paul left Thessalonica. It says the brethren immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. This gives us the background of what Paul is saying. He is now in Athens in chapter 3 here, alone. He has cared for those Thessalonians to the extent that he was willing to send Timothy back after Timothy joined him, and he felt abandoned. No one likes to be alone, particularly when there is opposition to the gospel. And here Paul was in the Agora, the marketplace, talking about Jesus Christ among all those people and not having even a companion. Now, you might have noticed in verse 1 of chapter 3 that it doesn't sound like he is alone because he writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... That's an editorial we. That's common in writing. Instead of saying, when I could no longer bear it, generally writers say, we. So it's an editorial we. He was alone. And he was not used to being alone. Wherever Paul went, he had companions. Take a look, for example, at Acts chapter 20. How many men were accompanying him on his journey? I'm reading from Acts 20, beginning with verse 2. When he had gone through these parts and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. 
There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. All these men were Paul's companions. They were learning from Paul. They were observing how he preached the gospel, how he taught people, and they, in turn, became ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Why, Paul, on the first missionary journey, when he was sent out by the Holy Spirit from the city of Antioch in Syria, the Spirit had spoken through the prophets in that church to separate Saul and Barnabas for the work to which he had called them. The practice was to send men out two by two. Jesus did it when he sent out the seventy. He sent them out two by two. Two are better than one, we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. The best practice in evangelism is to go out two by two. It's a biblical plan, and we ought to follow it. I feel much more comfortable even though I have been doing evangelism and teaching the Bible for many years, I feel very comfortable with another person there. Their presence encourages me, but my presence encourages them. And together we tell the good things of the Word of God to another person. This pattern of going out by twos is so clear that after the first missionary journey when Barnabas departed from Paul, Paul immediately found someone else to go with him. He wouldn't think of going out alone. And that person was Silas. And on that second missionary journey, they encountered another young man, Timothy. They wanted to train him and have him go along to share in the work of the ministry. And so he went along with them. In verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 3, he refers to Timothy as our brother and God's servant in the gospel of Christ. What depth of meaning in those choice words, brother and servant. What more could a man ask? The word brother indicates closeness and unity and loyalty. The word servant means unselfishness serving at his own expense in order to do something for Jesus Christ. Timothy was a real brother, and more than a brother, a servant. Listen to how Paul described him to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul wrote, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. They all look after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but Timothy's worth you know, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope therefore to send him, just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself might come also. Notice he said, Timothy is unselfish. He said, I have no one like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. No one? Well, practically no one. That's a generalization because most Christians are selfish. They don't care about other Christians. But Timothy was one who did care. Verse 2 tells us he was God's servant in the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel? It's the good news about what Jesus Christ has done on the cross regarding the sins of mankind. By his death on the cross, he reconciled man to God. He brought redemption. He purchased us by his own blood that we might be free. Now, that's good news. We don't have to try to buy our own way into heaven by doing something. Christ purchased us. We belong to him. He gave up his life. That was the price he had to pay to free us. And the word used in the Bible for that redemption is ex agorazo, a Greek word meaning to buy out of the agora, the marketplace. God sees us as having been slaves in the marketplace. And Paul, in using that word, tells us that we were purchased by the Master out of the marketplace to be set free forever. No wonder Jesus had said to the Jews, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There is a freedom that comes with our redemption. God isn't in the slave business. God sets slaves free. We've been set free from the bondage of the law of the Old Testament. We have been put under grace, which teaches us a better way to live. And because we are sons instead of slaves, God puts us under grace, not law. But how can grace control slaves that have been set free? Here's how, Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men, training us to renounce irreligion and worldly passions, and to live sober, upright, and godly in this world. You see, grace is our teacher. That's God's plan. He has a better way than the law. Furthermore, because of God's grace, we have a desire to serve him and to live godly lives. You can't explain that to some people until they have come to God and understood how good God is to us. Now, returning to verse 2, why did Paul send Timothy back to Thessalonica? It tells us at the end of the verse, to establish you in your faith and to exhort you that no one be moved by these afflictions, referring to the persecutions. But notice, he sent him to establish them in the faith. Not in tradition, not in religion, but in the faith. What is their faith? Their faith was in Christ. It's that body of truth 
which was given by the Lord Jesus to his apostles, which was passed on to their disciples, and which has come to us in the New Testament epistles. There is a whole new body of truth which Israel did not have. It's called the faith. And once the faith has come, Paul wrote to the Galatians, we are no longer under a custodian referring to the Old Testament law system. It's that whole new body of teachings that tells us what God has done for us and what God wants us to be as his children. So, Timothy was sent to strengthen them in their faith. But why this concern for strengthening them in their faith? It's because of false teachers. The epistle of Jude tells us about the concern that he had for those early Christians. He wrote appealing to them to contend for the faith, which was once for all time delivered to the saints, because he said there were some men who secretly gained admission into the church, ungodly persons who pervert the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Do men deny him today? They do, if they don't preach him. And now I want to call your attention to something that will help you with problems in prayer. It's our four-tape series on Understanding Prayer. This is a new approach, a fresh approach, to what the Bible teaches about prayer. You can get information about that course and other short courses on cassette tape by writing to the Radio Bible Course. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.com.